Now, so we also talk about club foot, which is in your book. Um, in club in club foot, club foot will fall under musculoskeletal congenital disorder. So club foot it is a is a con is a, is a disorder that the kids are born with. So we call it um, musculoskeletal congenital disorder. Their word is going to fall. Club foot. Now, it's in your book, so I'm not going to talk about it a lot because I already, I already asked to read on it. Now, club foot comes in different position, and it is in those positions I want you to look at and know them very well. Um, the positions include you have the talat, the talatis or talibs, um, you have the talib varus, uh, is one the first one, that's one. You have another one, you're gonna, you're gonna call the talibs or talapis, carcanus, talapi, carcanus, carcanus. Now, if you know the bones, which bone is called carcanus, definitely you know exactly what, what they are talking about in here. Everything is about inversion. So, um, you have uh, these different types of uh, inversion, uh, inversion. So you have the inversion, you have the inversion, you have the plantar flexion, you have the um, the inward and lower than the heel flexion. Now it's just a bit about um, Look at the verb a club foot is in your book. You know the one that is inverted inward that is inverted. The one that having inversion, the one that having plantar flexion, look at it and know them well. Know which one is which for the ankles and know how they appear. If a child is walking in the legs and you are seeing the sole of the foot that is having the club foot, what condition is that? How do you call that? Is that uh, inversion or is that deflection? So you have a look at them and know exactly what we are talking about. Now, let's talk on a little bit on the management of the club foot. Now we start for club foot. Um, club when there's a club foot, we begin at birth with casting. So we we re we do manual realignment of the uh, of the leather is uh, affected. We do the manual realignment and see what is going to work. So we start with that. Now the manual realignment starts shortly after birth and it continues until maximum correction is accomplished. Now. We do a weekly manipulation to stretch the muscle placement of a new cast. So every week, when you have a cast, when you have a club foot, you do weekly casting. So you go in every week, they remove the old cast, they look at the legs, do assessment, and put a, put a new cast, and you leave. You do a weekly until the child leg or the child foot is aligned to be able to walk straight. That's the first thing. Now, um, following the cast, after that long period of casting, we do what we call, um, we we do a heel coil tenotomy. A heel coil, we do what we call the heel, H-E-E-L-C-O-R-D, a heel coil tenotomy. Tenotomy 
it's a procedure we do to still provide alignment in the club foot or to the club foot. Now, we do a heel core tenotomy. It's performed followed by a long cast, a long leg cast after for three weeks. So after the cast on three weeks, we do the heel core tenotomy after that particular casting. After that, we do a Dennis Brown bar. A Dennis, we call it Dennis, a Dennis Brown bar. We do this after uh, the procedure. We do a Dennis Brown bar to connect specialized shoes, um, which can be applied to maintain recurrence and prevent recurrence. So the, 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 the Dennis Brown bar is like a particular shoes that is made for the client to put their legs in to create the legs to, to make the, the, the legs to be aligned frequently. That's why we are doing. This Dennis Brown bar is a shoe used for clients, for patients, for kids who have club foot to keep their legs straightened or straight as they grow. Um, we teach the client how to, how to do it, cast and other things to prevent skin breakdown and other things. Those are things we do for clients who have the uh, club foot. That's what I want to do about club foot. If you look in your book, you will see a wide range of also nursing management for club foot. Then I will look at um, developmental hip dysplasia. Now, developmental hip dysplasia, or we call it uh, DDH, which is um, developmental dysplasia of the hip. Now, this is a condition. These are conditioned, it is not one, they are more than they are more conditioned than four on here. Now, uh, this this condition um develop uh there's a hip fracture. Um in the hip in the hip fracture, there is a fracture, there is a disintegration of the hip, the hip bones, not one bones. Um, because the hip bones, they are vertebral hip bones. So there's a fracture in there that will affect the children or the child or the infant who's growing. Now, in the hip, there is three different kinds of uh, dysplasia. One is what we call the acetabulum dysplasia or acetabular dysplasia, acetabular dysplasia. Now, this is... Um, the acetabulum is, so let's say this, 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 so this is the hip bone right here. Um, this is the hip bone right here. And in this hip bone, we have these openings in here. Um, now, these openings are where the kid, the, the, the legs go. So, this is the femoral bone. The top bone is the femoral. Now, this femoral bone, the head of the femoral bone is round. The round femur will go into a socket. This is the socket it goes into. Now, this socket is what we call the acetabulum. So, the femur bone goes into the socket to create a joint that will allow us to move, to squat, to run, to exercise with our legs and our hips. So, that's the front of this particular place. Now, if the femur bone, the head of the femur bone cannot fit in here, there is a dislocation. There is a problem in the growth tissue. 
it is not having the cardiac to move the bones adequately with ease. That becomes what we call the acetabular dysplasia. This occurs in here. So that's one of the first form of developmental dysplasia of the hip. Now, in this case, um, there's a delay in the acetabular development. The roof becomes shallow and oblique. Instead of it going in here, it slides outside. It, 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 it does not fit into the socket that is in here. Now, that becomes a dysplasia that we can call the acetabular dysplasia. Then the next one we have, we have subluxation. What we call hip subluxation. Um, this is called a subluxation. Another, another form here. Now, this form under here um, is an incomplete dislocation of the hips. So, in this case, there was a hip dislocation, but it did not result into total hip dislocation. It was an incomplete hip dislocation, so we have what we call the subluxation. The last portion is what we call dislocation itself, hip dislocation. Now, the hip dislocation is the bigger type of subluxation. So in this case, the entire hip did not get this uh, did not get dislocated, but in this case, there was a complete dislocation of the hip. That's what we call hip dis dislocation. In this case, the femoral hair does not contact with the bone or with the socket. So, what's the femoral hair? Like I think over here. Now, in this cycle or in this socket, this, this, this is the femoral bone. So, this bone is completely detached from this particular socket. In this case, it's what we call dislocation. Now, these are things you want to remember. Um, for infants, now, don't, don't look at why are those things going to be having the infants. For infants, they're going to have asymmetry gluteal of the gluteal and the tire force. What's the tire force? Whenever there is a hip dysplasia for infants, there will be asymmetry, asymmetry. Now, one leg becomes longer, the other becomes shorter. When the kids stand up, when you still a kid up, one leg is shorter, one leg becomes longer. That is what we call the asymmetry of the legs. We're going to see that. Now, another thing is there's going to be the tire fold. When a child stands up, there are two folds under the tire, right on the butt. Now, these folds will not be aligned. You will see one fold up and the other fold are down. That becomes what we call asymmetry of the hip of, of the third foot. We're going to see that in the case of uh, this particular dysplasia. There will be a shortening of the femur. Like one femur becomes shorter. There will be widened perineum. Now, there is going to be positive remark on these words. There will be positive autolining. Autolining test. And there will be also positive uh, bios, bios sign, bios and autolanin will be positive. There will be positive bios and positive autolanin test or test. Now, in the first one, where we have the autolanin, the hip is reduced by abduction. The hip 
is reduced by abduction. A B D A B D U C T I O N. The hip is reduced. Hip is reduced. Hip is reduced by abduction. Now we have A B D U C T I O N, and we have A D D U C T I O N. Both of them sound the same. This is abduction. This is abduction. When you hear the word abduction, normally A B D, that means carrying the body apart. Abduction, when you say like this, and you say abduction, A B D, meaning when you say abduct your arms, A B D, meaning you carry your arms apart. That becomes A B D, abduction. When you say abduction, A D D, bring your arms to your body part. Now, the common logic in there is how to remember it is. ADD means addition to add. So when I bring my arms towards my body, meaning I'm adding, I'm adding something to my body. So when I'm adding is ADD. When I'm doing ABD, it's like I'm subtracting. Just look at the word subtract, S-U-B, sub. So the B in there stands for subtraction, meaning you're taking it away. And the ADD means add, meaning you are bringing it towards the body. So in the positive autolines test, the client will have, uh, there will be hip, the hip is reduced when there's abduction. Meaning, when you take the hips apart, when you open the client legs, the hip is reduced. That means the client has hip fracture. For the balance test, for the balance test, there is uh, what we call the hips gets dislocated. There is hip dislocation. Hip Dislocation, dislocation with adduction. So when you bring the two hips together, the femur bone will jump from in the socket and you will hear the sound and you will see the dislocation from the child's leg. So bio, B-A-R-O means there is a hip dislocation with adduction, A-D-D. Autolamus means there is a hip uh, reduction by what? Abduction, ABD. I hope that is clearer like how I'm saying it. Um, for the child, one leg is shorter than, 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 than the other leg. So for the, those sound, I'm talking about for the sound for the infants, the asymmetry of the legs, we're talking about shortening of the femur, Widen perineum, talking about positive autolanine sign and positive bilateral sign. Those are signs and symptoms you're going to see in, a, in an infant who has hip dys dysplasia. For children, you're going to see one leg is longer than the other. Um, there will be a positive transgenerous sign in children. In children, we talk about what we call in children. There will be positive trans Delenburg trans Delenburg sound in children. There will be positive trans Delenburg sound. Now, in the children, the trans Delenburg sound is positive, meaning while weight bearing, while bearing weight on the on on the further side, the pelvic tilts downward. So, the trans Delenburg sound is a sound that when a child is having weight bearing. 
Um, what happened in that case? The child will, the child pelvis will tilt downward. So that downward tilting of the pelvis while doing a weight bearing exercise or build a weight bearing uh, position, that is what we call the positive trembling breath. This sound, this sound will show that the child has hip dysplasia. For the infants, you have the otolarynx and that of the one, the balance. I hope it makes sense to us and we can model it in this fashion. Um, then we, for the treatment, we do for them what we call the public hardness. For this condition, we do the public, the public hardness for client with developmental dysplasia of the hip. Um, for the public hardness, we maintain it in for up to 12 months, 12, 12, uh, 12 weeks. So it stays in for up to 12 weeks. We check the strap every one to two, the strap on the public hardness, we check it one to two weeks. Now, yesterday I put in the information I put in, you saw the baby, the infant with the public hardness on. Now, that simply means that what the public hard is like a vet, or, or, or it looks like a suspender. So you have the public hardness that is put on after a hip dysplasia for 12 weeks, and you check the strap every one to two, whether it is adjusted or it is still the same. And um, you also go in, perform neurovascular check and skin integrity. You remove the hardness depending on the client. Teach the family how to adjust the straps. Teach them how to place the hardness if it is removed, if it is to be removed. You teach them how to do a skin care. Um, in the skin care, use an undershirt always. The client of public hardness should always have an undershirt. One. Two, they should always wear a knee socks, socks up to their knees. They should always accept the skin. They should gently massage the skin underneath the straps. And they should rub, uh, they should avoid lotions and powder. We do not use lotion and powder when a child has the public hardness. We place diaper underneath the strap. So the diaper does not go over the strap, the diapers go underneath the strap. So the strap is over the diapers. So these are things we look at and uh, we can go ahead and look at them. They are very important for our ankle study. So those are procedure for the public hardness for babies from birth to six months. So babies from six months to two years, we use a surgical procedure to create um, alignment of the hip when there's a hip dysplasia. So we do what we call um, surgical close reduction. Then we put in the hip speaker cast. Hip speaker cast. That is for children above six months to two years. For, for the public hardness is from birth to six months. For the speaker cast, for six months to two years. Both are for the developmental hip dysplasia. Just so you know that. Any question? I'm not talking about uh, 
osteogenesis imperfecta because it is in a book and I ask you to look at uh, osteogenesis imperfecta it is in a book so you have to read on the osteogenesis imperfecta imperfecta it is in the sentence um, it is an inherited condition that results in bone fracture and bone deformity along with restricted growth. So as the child grows, the bone becomes affected, the bone becomes deformed, and the bone is fragile. Or there's a fracture occurring in the bones. Um, the child will have multiple fracture. That's one, these are one of the symptoms. They will have multiple fracture. Multiple fracture occurring in here. That's one. Two, the child will have a blue sclera. They will have blue sclera when the child when the child has this condition. The child will have early hearing loss. They will have early hearing loss. In this case, in this case also, the child will have small. The child's teeth will be small and discolored. Discolored small teeth. The child will have this. These are the cardinal signs for osteogenesis imperfecta. If your book did not give you a, if you did not read it. Um, so in this case, we give medication, we give a drug called the panadrolet, we give the pan. The padmidronate. We give the padmidronate. Um, this drugs is a minister. It's P A M I. It's P A M I. It's P A M I D R O N A T. Padmidronate. So this medication is a minister to. Um, it is administered mainly to increase the bone strength and bone density. It is given IV. Um, it has some common other effects like hypokalemia, hypomagnesemia, hypocalcemia, hypophosphatemia, thrombocytopenia, neutropenia, dysrhythmia, kidney failure, and general malaise. Now, like you hear all oh, those hypo, 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 hypo. Now those are things that um, the bone will need. So these are the adverse effects. They are being given to help to increase the bone, the, the bone density. So the adverse effect of the medication will be opposite of what the joint is being administered for. In short. Then we have um, scoliosis. Now, in scoliosis, like I said, your book has more information on scoliosis, but I'm concerned about the nursing intervention for scoliosis. Now, like I said, like I said for scoliosis, it is just a curvature of the, um, the bone, the spinal bone or the vertebra, scoliosis. In scoliosis, you have different types. You have kyphosis, you have lidosis, you have kyphoscoliosis, you have scopholidosis, 
There are different types. You can look at the real types. But my concern is just the nursing management under here. Um, Scoliosis itself is a lateral curvature. Now, every one of these conditions have a different definition. Scoliosis, there is a lateral, there's a lateral curvature of the spine. In scoliosis, there's a lateral curvature of the spine in the case of scoliosis. The spine is on the side like this, lateral. So you have a different type of curvature. But in this case, the client is leaning like this or like this on the side. That becomes a lateral curvature of the spine in scoliosis. In scoliosis, um, we have idiopathic or structural scoliosis, which are the most common ones. Um, they are sometimes, they, they are from genetic problems and other things. Um, we do, the treatment of scoliosis depends on the location of the curvature. It depends on the degree at which the spine is curved. It also depends on how we start the restructuring of the spine. Now, the goal is not to treat it because it, is, it can be cured. The goal is to prevent uh, progression of the curvature. That's the goal. So in this case, we use braces. So there are customized braces for everyone who has scoliosis. And we want to assist the clients and the parents in fitting on the braces. Want to assess the skin for, for skin integrity. Want to promote self-image, self-worth. Because the client, the child who has this condition, they might have low self-esteem when they are with their friends. They might be bullied among their friends. So want to help the kids to build a stronger self-esteem. Want to teach the client how to apply the brace on by himself or herself. Um, Sometimes we do surgical intervention, which is used for curvature above 45 degrees. Any curvature, just go for the English, any curvature of the spine above 45 degrees, in this case, we'll do surgical intervention. Surgical intervention. Anyone below 45 degrees, in this case, we can do braces. Let's remember this. The angler will say a client with a, with a lateral curvature, they might not use the word scoliosis or vice versa, who has a curvature of 65 degrees. What is the immediate direction action? They will ask you this question. In this case, it's above 45 degrees. This client does not need braces. Braces will not, it's not gonna help the client. The client will need surgical alignment to help them. Now, so the client will need to have an informed consent signed. Um, we, need to, we need to do autologous blood donation. Now we have autologous, autologous blood donation. Meaning we take your own blood and bend it. After the surgery, we infuse you with your own blood. That's what we call autologous blood donation. So that, that is done in the case of scoliosis when they, when they are doing the spinal, the spinal fusion with rod placement. So they, they do the spine because what happens in the, in the condition, the vertebral discs are not touching each other. 
So there is more spaces between each vertebra disc on one side. That's why it's a curvature. So to go in and reduce the spaces and put in rods, like staples to hold them together and the child can at least be uh, working in a better manner. Um, so we orient the client to the ICU and the family. These are all just other things. But uh, the most important thing is uh, this condition, um, when you put on braces, is not to treat the condition, it is just to prevent the progression of the spinal curvature. And below 45 degree, we use braces, Above for the plan we will do cervical intervention, which is the spinal fusion. So these are things we do under here. Any question on these conditions? Under here, we'll look at some other chronic neuromuscular disorder. These are chronic neuro, we call them the chronic neuro. Uh, muscular disorders. Now over here, we have the cerebral palsy, cerebral palsy. We talked about this in neural conditions. Um, I'm just bringing it because the nerves, the bones, the muscle, they work together. So we talked about it already that in, on, on our first topic. I'm just gonna throw some light on it before we leave the next few minutes. Um, these are conditions that are linked with mobility and can be reflective of problems with our musculoskeletal system or the result of disorder that are linked to neural tube defect or neural, pro or neural tube problems. Um, in these conditions, we have different kinds of cerebral passing. In this condition we call CP or cerebral palsy. It is a non-progressive impairment of motor function, especially that of the muscle control, muscle coordination and posture. It affects three things. It affects muscle control, it affects muscle coordination, and it affects the posture. So cerebral palsy is non-progressive. It affects three things. Your posture, your control of your muscle, and your muscle coordination. Those are three things it affects. Now, it can lead to uh, abnormal perception, abnormal sensation, abnormal visualization, abnormal hearing problem. It can also lead to abnormal speech, or there can be seizure, or it leads to some cognitive disabilities. There are wide range of disease condition or wide reach of body function that this particular cerebral palsy can affect. Um, my concern here is they have different types. There are three major types of cerebral palsy. We have the spastic, the spastic cerebral palsy. You can look this up. We have what we call, um, so this also called the Paramida, paramida cerebral palsy or, spas, or spastic. We have what we call a dyskinetic cerebral palsy. Dyskinetic, dyskinetic cerebral palsy, or it is referred to as the non-spastic or the extra paramida palsy. It is called 
um, the extra pyramidal palsy or is called the non-spastic cerebral palsy. This kinetic. Then we have the ataxic or the ataxic cerebral palsy or cerebral palsy. Now, these are the three types of cerebral palsy. I want you to look at them, look on them and know what uh, each one stands for, what are the indications, what's the difference between the cerebral spastic palsy and now the dyskinetic along with the ataxic. Look at them, read them and tell us the difference between this type of cerebral palsy. Um, when you have these conditions, we do a complete neurological assessment. That those are the lab, we do, uh, the diagnostic procedures we do. We do a complete uh, neuro uh, uh, neurological assessment. We do metabolic and genetic testing, and we do general movement assessment in children older than two years and younger than five years. So children, children that are older, children that are older than two years that are older than two years but less than five years will do the general movement testing um we do mris and uh, we do other tests for them you want to individualize the care to meet the child's needs every child has what we call isp individualized support plan so we work at those group homes Case with these conditions, adopt with these conditions, they all have what we call the ISP. ISP is what we call individualized support plan. So whenever you have a client, a new client at work, um, you're going to pick up the client book and you see ISP tells you what are the client dysfunction, how can you help them if they want to go to the bathroom, if they want to eat. Every client of this condition has different ISP. So each client has what we call an individualized support plan to help them cope with ADS. We want to also monitor the developmental milestone because they might be growing in age, but their senses, their ideas, their cognition, their perceptions are not in line with their age. You will see a 16 years old adolescent still play with toys that should be for a three years old. That's possible in cerebral palsy. We want to promote independence, and that's why we are having them in these homes. In this home, they learn how to move around. They learn how to put on their braces. They learn how to put on their pants. They learn how to eat. We have forks. We have spoons. We have cups for them that are just made for them. And we have things to do. Their iPad, those guided apps are like individualized for each client we have in those group homes. We also determine... Um, the extent of the family coping skills. We assess uh, the structural intervention and communication skills of the client. We look at, we help them to use augmented communication such as electronic devices or for speech and other types of communication tools. Include the family in physical care. We maintain an open airway. We increase, we ensure the client is suctioned well if the client needs to be suctioned. Um, we give the care as it is required by the client age, by the client condition, by the client deformity. That's how we provide care for the client who have cerebral palsy. We 
give drugs such as baclofen. Client will take baclofen. Um, baclofen can be administered. This medication, in this case, it is it is essentially acting skeletal muscle relaxant that decreases muscle spasm and severe spastic, spastic, uh, severe spasticity. So these are centrally acting uh, musculoskeletal relaxant. They are used to decrease or reduce muscle spasm and to reduce the spasticity of the muscles. And these drugs can be given orally or they can be administered intravenously through uh, intratically through specialized surgical implanted port or pump. Monitor how effective these medications are. You monitor for weakness, monitor for fatigue, increased fatigue, and less. Those are all less common adverse effects. And you monitor for the diaphoresis and constipation. Those are the most Two, the two most common side adverse effect of the of this medication. They can also take diazepam. Uh, they can take diazepam. They can take diazepam. Now, in this case, diazepam is also a skeletal muscle relaxant. It is used to decrease muscle spasm and to decrease severe spastic setting. It is used in older children and adolescents. Monitor for drowsiness and fatigue. Educate the client on the drugs uses and the and, and the um, and the um, and you also want to educate them on the adverse effect of the medication. Um, they can also use botulinum toxin A, botulinum botulinum toxin A. Now, this medication it is a medication also, it reduces the spastic city in specific muscle groups. It is used primarily for clients who have spasticity only in lower extremities. Um, we monitor for temporary weakness, teach the family that the onset of the medication is 24 to 72 hours with a peak of two weeks lasting for at least three to six months. These are things we do for the client. Um, then before we leave, uh, we did, the last time we did spinal bifida. You can also read about spinal bifida. You can read about juvenile idiopathic arthritis, which is in your book, which I asked you to read about, to read about some days ago. You can look at that. You can look at muscular dystrophy, the various types. Some books have, have some book contain the three three types, but there are I think there are five or six different type of muscular dystrophy. So you want to read about them, read about the nursing management, and uh, we those are things you want to read. Then then we'll complete the topic. So uh, this ends our topic. Uh, our system under muscular disorder. Any question?